0: good to see everybody this morning. If you got a Bible, um, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, it's okay. It'll be on the screen here for you in just a minute. Uh, my brother-in-law is from Haiti, and in 2000, we went to Haiti uh, for their wedding and uh, if you if you've ever been to Haiti uh, you know it's a totally different place obviously it's a different country and if, if you've ever been to a different country and especially if they speak a different language and have different customs than you are, it can be a strange yet wonderful be- wonderfully beautiful place and I remember us walking through the market and going through there and we're hearing people speak to us in Creole and I had no um, I know how to say what's up, okay? That's all I knew how to say. So I'd be like, "Soc passe. And they would say, no boulé. So sock passe meant what's up, and no boulé meant nothing. And so that's all I knew how to say. And it was enough to get people to think like, oh, this guy knows how to speak Creole. And I didn't. And so they'd come, and they would talk to me, and I'd be like, oh, Awesome. <laughs> and they, were like, they realized quickly, like, oh, no, either this guy is dumb or he doesn't know the language or both. It was a possibility. But if you've ever been in that situation in which you're in a totally different culture and everything is strange yet beautiful, that's what the kingdom of God is like. Now, we're going to walk through in the next several months the Sermon on the Mount which is in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And this is Jesus' teachings about the kingdom of God. But to get us ready for that, I want us to walk through the first little part of Matthew, the first several, and I'm going to say this, and you're going to go like, oh no, we have picked the wrong day to come. We're going to be through Matthew chapter 1 through 4, but I'm going to brief overview to get to this point about to the Jesus sits down on a mountain. That's why they call it the Sermon on the Mount. He sits on a mountain and he goes and he speaks. And this is the longest section of teaching that we have of Jesus, you know, in in a row, okay? It's from Matthew chapter 5 to Matthew chapter 7. And he says some things that are so strange yet so beautiful about the kingdom of God. And so here's what I want you to know. I got a little phrase that I want you to understand. And so as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, here's what I want you to know Jesus is king, he brings with him a kingdom. And the Sermon on the Mount tells us about life in the kingdom. And life in the kingdom of God is totally strange and beautiful. So let me say that again. Jesus is king. He brings with him a kingdom. And the Sermon on the Mount tells us about life in the kingdom. Just like that. It's beautifully strange because Jesus is going to say some things in the Sermon on the Mount that are going to make every one of us very uncomfortable. But in that uncomfortable Strange things that he says, there is life and truth and goodness and beauty. And so we are embarking on this. And so first off, I want you to see that Jesus is king. If you look in the book of Matthew, and I'm gonna walk you up to this place, we're gonna be Matthew chapter one. You will start off with a very boring part of scripture, at least on the on the first glance. It's the begots. Have you ever heard them before? It says, Abraham had this kid, and this guy had this kid, and this guy had this guy, and this guy had this guy. There are twenty-eight generations listed. It's like, hey man, that's not a page turner, okay? If you're, you know, like you're supposed to grab our attention, okay? And now you got big weird names, and you're following through these generations, and it's like a family, like a family lineage thing. And if you're not into that, that's going to be really hard. But at the end, in Matthew 17, he says this: It was 14 generations from Abraham to David, and it was 14 generations from David to Christ, Jesus. So what he's doing is this: He's saying he has a legit, Jesus has a legitimate claim on the throne of David. He is king, but his kingdom. Is not going to be in this world because then it goes on in the first part of Matthew to go to our Christmas story, right? And I know we're doing, like, we're doing Christmas in September. It's already, Christmas stuff is already out. If you've been in the Hobby Lobby, they've had Christmas out since, like, May, okay? Because they want you to make sure that you get your May Christmas decorations up, right? All right, you know, the Halloween happens, you know, like January. So, I mean, it's, it's, this is the, the holiday seasons in retail. So we got the Christmas story, and then Jesus is born in David's town of Bethlehem, so he's keeping in line. He's the king. He's the rightful owner, the ruler, coming in David's line. He's supposed to rule the world. And then we got the, the, the magi that show up, the wise men. You Remember that? They show up on the scene, and they greet him as a king. You know how they do that? They bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, if you brought me frankincense and myrrh, if you want to bring gold to my house all day, you're welcome to. But if you bring frankincense and myrrh, those are spices, and they smell terrible. I mean, they do. I mean, they really do. I mean, like, I know some of you like to mix them in different things, but really, the only reason you're doing it is because, you know, you may believe in the essential oils and you think that that's going to help you, and it might, okay? I, it, I know people that swear by it, but it smells terrible. It just does. I just love you, but it does it does not smell good. At least in my, in my thing, like incense, and so they brought these things. It's gifts for a king, and yes, even burial things. it's looking towards his death, so that's what's happened. So Jesus is king, and Matthew's setting this up, and he's talking about how all of these, how all of these things, uh, these scriptures are fulfilled, and then you get. Going along the line, somebody, after the wise men come, Jesus flees to Egypt because people are going to try to kill him, so they, him and his family go to Egypt, and they come out of Egypt. And then we have, in Matthew chapter 3, this guy named John, who's preparing the way. So that's what we're going to start reading today, is Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this is his message, and I want you to get this, because this is going to be really important, like in verse 2. He said this repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand that's the message And then look what happens next, verse 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path." So this guy named John the Baptist, they're going to call him John the Baptist because he's going to baptize people, which means he's going to dunk them in water. And that is symbolic, okay? And so John's come and he's preaching and his message is repent for the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is a king. Matthew has set that up and he's bringing a kingdom. Okay, And he says, here's the message of the kingdom is to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is to prepare the way for the Messiah, which fulfills scripture. You follow me? Are we there? You got to hold, hold, bear with me for a second, because you got to see this. Because if you don't see Jesus as king and you don't see him coming with a kingdom, then you don't see the reason why you should obey him. And so we see this, and then it gets a little strange in verse 4. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 3 says, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair, high class fabric, and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts, yes, the bugs, and wild honey. He took a vow, a Nazarite vow, and he is doing this, living this life. He's got the big beard, he's got the long hair, he's got the camel, he's got, he's got the camel, uh, camel duds, he's got the leather belt. And what's for dinner? Bugs and honey. Thank God I don't have to do that, okay? And so he's coming, he's preparing the way for the Lord repent. The kingdom of God is hand. Verse 5 he says, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And so he's preaching that God's kingdom is coming, and you should turn from your sin and turn from your ways and get ready for. God to visit us in the form of the Messiah, the King to come. And so these people, as a sign and a symbol of their turning away from sin and turning towards God, they're being baptized, which really is a word that means to be immersed. They're being dunked underwater and they're confessing sins. Now, the the religious leaders of the, I'm going to pick up here, in verse 7 said this, they they are always the ones with the cynical eye. And then verse 7, but when See, if Twitter was around today, they would be the Twitter trolls of Jesus' ministry. Okay? This is what we got in verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, this is John, he said to them, this is a good opener, you brood of vipers, you bunch of poisonous snakes, it's not good. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we are we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so these religious these religious trolls come out, and John is preaching about the Messiah to come, the one who is going to be the son of Abraham, the son of David, the Messiah. And these, these religious leaders approach, and he says, no, 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 no. This is all fake what you're doing. If you want to really repent, you don't need a symbol. You need to change your behavior. Because you were not. your heart is hard towards believing the things of God. And then he goes on in verse 11. He said, John says, I baptize you in water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire with winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. And that is a bunch of farm imagery to say the Messiah is coming. He is so great, I can't even touch his feet, which feet even in this context, were really nasty. They're still nasty. Because here's the thing. If you ask somebody to wash your feet, they would, unless it's your child, you're going to be like, I'm good. Like, I like Kelly a lot. But if Kelly said, hey, man, would you wash my feet? Be like, no. Hey, would you carry my muddy sandals to the house? I mean, if you really needed and you were hurt, maybe I would, but just, I love you, man. But that's just not something I'm going to do. Why? It, feet were unclean then, They're unclean now in a different sense. But but John says, I'm not even worthy to touch this man's sandals, the one who's coming. And when he comes, he's going to bring judgment with him. Grace and judgment. And then we have this, as soon as John is preaching this in the narrative of Matthew, Jesus shows up on the scene. And he's behold the Lamb of God, and he baptizes Jesus, and the heavens open up. And God says, behold, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then immediately from his baptism, Jesus is taken into the wilderness. And he's tempted by Satan after he's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And, he is, he, he, and then he does not give in to Satan at that time. It's pretty impressive. Son of God. Showing that he's the son of God. And then we pick up after the 40 days of, in the temptation in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. It says this, now when he heard that John had been arrested, oh yeah, here's by the way what happens in between the baptism and the temptation. John gets arrested for telling the truth and preaching the gospel to people, preaching the good news of repent, turn from your sins. And so he ends up in prison. And so John has prepared the way. Now he's in prison. He's going to lose his head eventually for telling the truth. And then Jesus, we have him emerging, the one whom John said, I don't even, I'm not even worthy to touch his feet. And Jesus shows up, verse 12 of Matthew 4. And he says, now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death on them, has dawned, and the light has dawned. And so here's this thing. Again, he's fulfilling Scripture. Then I want you to notice this. This is what he says. It's going to be the exact same thing that John said. This is where we're going to camp out, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus, the Matthew's showing us he is a king, and with him he's bringing a kingdom. And the Sermon on the Mount is going to tell us about, which is going to be in Matthew 5 through 7, it's going to tell us what life is like in the kingdom, and it's going to be like entering into a beautifully strange foreign world. And to understand this, this is our introduction to where we're gonna get to. Because here's the thing: sometimes if you don't know the backstory, it's hard to get it. You ever been watching the show? You're really into the show. Maybe you're Netflixing. You're doing the Netflix thing, and you got like you you know you've already etc. Are you still watching? And you've continued three or four times, and then your spouse or someone walks into the room and like, "Hey, what you watching?" And you're like, "TV." Okay. No, you've never done that. You're holier than me. That's fine. Then you know what you do? Who's that guy? What are they doing? Why are they doing that? And you're just like, watch the show. Go back and then we can talk, okay? Because you don't know all the backstory, you don't know all the context, you know this is true, you know this has caused a fight in your house, you just zip it, show, okay? If you wanna know, you go catch up on it. You read the little IMDB thing or you watch it and then we can chat. Until then, hmm. I'm watching, okay? If you don't get the story that leads up to the Sermon on the you might not get it. And so we need to know this. Jesus is king. Matthew is showing that Jesus is the rightful king, the one who is on David's throne, who fulfills all the scriptures, who's God in the flesh, and he is showing this by by all of these things. And then he gets to this place, and Jesus and John, they both say the same thing. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. So here's the thing. Jesus is king. He brings with him a kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount tells us what life is like in the kingdom. But here's the gateway in to understanding all of this is repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. There's a command, and then there's a reason. The command is to repent. We're going to talk about what that means. And then the reason is for the kingdom of God is at hand. And So I want us to do this. The command is repent. Before we look at the command, I want us to look at the reason for the command. The reason for the command in verse 17 and in, in uh, Matthew 3, 2, when John preached it, is this. The reason is for the kingdom of God is at hand. Why should you repent? For the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I, wanted, I want us to break down that little phrase a couple of times. And here's the thing. It says here, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. So let's stop and look at kingdom. Kingdom is a place of a dominion of a rule. and A kingdom is a place where a sovereign reigns over. If you are an Anglophile, you know that kingdom is reigned over by the, the Tudor family, okay? And you have Queen Elizabeth, okay? And it's, it's a constitutional monarchy, and that's the realm, okay? And you can tell I've been watching a lot of British stuff on Netflix, okay? That, that is a realm. It's a dominion. It has borders. It has a people. The kingdom of God is a rule and a reign, a dominion, that is no longer related to borders geographically. But it has to do with a people and the coming rain that will encompass the whole world. And he says the kingdom, this realm is coming, and it's the kingdom of heaven. Heaven, don't get too caught up in that word, okay? Because sometimes we go to Looney Tunes when we think of heaven, and I don't mean like crazy, but you think of, I'm thinking about Looney Tunes, the cartoons. And some of you may have never seen that, but if you have seen Looney Tunes, every time, like, you know, Sylvester the cat or somebody would die. They would ascend and disembodied up to heaven, and they'd have wings and a harp, and it's this disembodied kind of ethereal place. The Bible never paints that picture, okay? And heaven being the domain of God, the, the place where unseen realm where he, where he abides, not that he's not everywhere, but that is, is where his dominion is fully seen and realized. And... Kingdom of heaven is when God's dominion comes to the earth, when heaven touches earth. And so when he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, God's or heaven's reign is coming to the earth. Now, Matthew is the only one that uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. The other gospels use kingdom of God. And I say they're synonymous, but they have different, different aspects. And But understanding this is, you can understand it in both ways. Heaven come to earth or God's reign coming to earth, and they're the same thing. And so here's what Jesus is saying and what John was saying. Turn, repent, for... God, his rule and reign, and heaven's rule and reign is coming down to earth. And then it says this. It's at hand. It's right here. It's at the door. It's knocking. I don't know if you do this. My dog, any type of knock, she runs to the door and growls. You but... And now I know this, and I've had the dog for a while. So sometimes when you're just in, you ever in a mood, you just want to play a little joke? Maybe you don't, maybe you're holier than me. But sometimes I'll knock on the floor just to watch my dog go to the, the door, like, <laughs> okay? I had somebody come over, uh, uh, drop off something. Miss Bethany came over, drop off something at our house the other day, and our dog was right at the door, because <laughs> that was a real knock, okay? But if I hadn't have been in the other room and knocked, she'd have run to the door, <laughs> okay? She's getting older. She can't see real well, and I don't think she can hear real well, but that knock, she runs to the door because she thinks somebody is right there. She's going to protect us, which she's really not, because if you ever see, she got a big growl, a big bark, but I don't think she'd do anything. I mean, she's been beaten up by a deer that happened. Uh, She's not, yeah, she went outside. There was a deer there. deer almost killed her. Olivia, hey, you're right there, saved her life, and then realized she was in the harm's way of a deer. True story. (laughs) My dog's not going to do anything, but she knows somebody is right there. It's a sign and a symbol. When we see this, when we hear the kingdom of God is at hand, it's near. When John was saying it's near because there's going to be this one comes after me whose sandals, I'm not worthy of taking off. He has this high belief. He, he He knows the greatness of the Messiah to come. Now, when Jesus says it, he's saying, I am bringing with me the rule and reign of God, the rule and reign of heaven. Heaven is coming to earth, which is an unbelievable statement because this world is anything but heavenly. Yeah, there's some great things in it because God has made creation awesome. And there's some great stuff, Rocky Mountains, Smoky Mountains, Beach, Grand Canyon, all these different things. We've, we do experience love and joy in our lives, but our world, if you just turn on the news and watch it for a little bit, is marred by sin and death, and it's broken, and there's difficulties, and there's pain, and there's sadness, and there's tragedy, and I want to let you know the Bible, the Bible gives us a reason why those things are, and it is sin. The unearthing of sin on mankind, when our first parents sinned, it, it had this echo shockwave that went to all of us and everyone is broken in sin and this world is broken in sin and the kingdoms of this world are often corrupt even the ones that are going after truth and justice have much corruption in them and we've seen through the course of history kingdoms come and go and we've seen oppressive governments and we have seen governments that have been good but have ultimately fallen into corruption and we've seen through the history of mankind, a history of suffering and pain and injustice. Even in the midst of the beauty of God's world, there is a brokenness to it. And what Jesus is saying when he showed up on the scene is I am bringing this dominion of heaven. I'm bringing heaven to earth. It's right here. So when Jesus enters into our world, and we have it related to us in the Gospels, he is king and he's bringing his kingdom, and his kingdom is already and not yet. Let me say that again. His kingdom is already and not yet, which means he brought it, and we're a couple of thousand years removed from when he came. So when he comes, he is bringing heaven's rule and reign to earth. And here's some examples of heaven's rule and reign coming to earth. Jesus and all of his miracles, and I've told, I've told our students this a whole bunch of times, because you, you kind of get the miracles that Jesus did are miracles first off which means that this isn't some magic trick this is something that happens outside of the way that the world is structured the laws of science and nature and physics this supersedes those because he is the author of those laws of 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 nature and he supersedes them and him coming to earth is an example his power his the things he does like calming the sea and multiplying the food and turning water into wine, which is bringing life out of nothing. All of those things are done not to get a crowd, but to show everyone that he's the king, the one who reigns over everything, and he's come. Also, when he has the power of the demonic, and he sees these people oppressed with disease, and with the demonic, he casts them out, and it's showing that evil, evil, is on notice. The king's coming. There's a new sheriff in town. I'm going to take care of this. It's just like this. Many of you are college football fans, and we all struggle. Okay, it's been a struggle for Rocky Top. If you're Alabama fans, get out of here. Okay, uh, but it, it, for Rocky Top and for Gator Nation and for all these other ones, there's been a lot of long-suffering and every time you get a new coach, hope emerges. This is gonna be the year. Then you get then you get beat. <laughs> but like I got a new sheriff in town. We're going kids are gonna be running, The kids are gonna be lifting weights, games are gonna be different, they gotta have a better game plan. And then you get brought down to earth. The new sheriff in town is going to be different. See, Jesus, when he comes, when he's at hand, he brings his kingdom, and all of the miracles that you see in this is showing that there is a new sheriff in town, and he's coming, and he will destroy sin and death and the devil. And there will be the rule and reign of God everywhere. He's the new sheriff in town. So when he comes, John said this, and then Jesus says it. Repent the action, the command. Why? For the kingdom of heaven heaven come to earth, is at hand. It's here with me when Jesus brings this kingdom. It's already and not yet, which means when Jesus showed up, the kingdom has come, but the kingdom is not yet fully realized. His dominion, heaven's reign on earth, and the, and, and the recreation of the world has not yet occurred. It's in process, but it's not. It's here. We see signs and symbols of it all over the place, It came with Jesus, but it's not yet. So it's right here now. So as we come and we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we hear about Jesus, we hear these things, it is meant for us, there is a weight of the fact that the kingdom is here and it's coming. It's already and not yet. And so that requires something from us. If, If Jesus is the rightful ruler and his kingdom, which is forever, is coming, and the Sermon on the Mount tells us about life in that kingdom, we need to take action. It, it, there's a weight on our lives. There is something that must be done. There's a response that is required. And the response that Jesus and John called for was to repent. Now, when you hear repent, you might go back immediately to maybe some bad experiences you've had in church in the past. Or maybe a hateful street corner preacher yeah, it's possible to preach the truth and hate, right? You can be right, but wrong in the way you do it. In fact, Jesus told, tells us to speak the truth in love, right? So if you don't have one of those two parts, if you've got the truth without love, it's not going to work. And if you have love without the truth, then, you know, it, it's different. You, you, truth without love, you've got a jerk who just likes to be right. And love without truth, you've got a care bearer who has no weight or significance to what they say. Truth and love is different. And so the repentance here, the kingdom of God is at hand. See, Jesus is obviously, there is love there because he has left the treasures of heaven to come to the muck of earth to be this king coming to earth, to be heaven, come to earth. And so when he says repent, there is a love in there because he's asking, or he's telling them, calling them to turn from their sins and trust him. To repent is to turn. And so the call of the kingdom to get ready for God's rule and reign is to turn our wicked ways, to turn from our own way to turn to his way. So when we come and we approach the king and we approach his kingdom, the way in is through repentance and faith. And that is the only way we can understand truly what life is like in this strange new world of the kingdom coming to earth. So when when you hear the word repent, you might go to those like, you might cringe at that angry gospel preacher who didn't have much love or you might you might think about the guys downtown in Nashville even at Christian concerts who have the big signs and they got the megaphones and like how is that working out for them by the way like well, got a lot of people like hey you know what you yelled at me with a megaphone I'm gonna I'm gonna repent of my sins and trust Jesus he has to be he has to be full of grace and love because you obviously are with your megaphone and your loud sound and your big sign and your hatefulness, gotta, I'm going to turn. Right? repentance, just, I just, repent. it's just you know, imagine, I, I can't believe they don't have thousands coming to Christ through their, their, their yelling. Repent is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. To turn from your sins is good. And so when you hear the word, don't automatically associate it with with people who are just jerks. Jesus and John are calling you to a hard thing in a loving way. A hard thing in a loving way, and the hard thing is to repent. Let's talk about this word. Because that's the command. The kingdom of God's here. It requires of us a a change. It requires of us an action. It requires of us, this this weight requires of us something, and it is to repent. So what does that mean? It means to change one's mind. In the Old Testament, it called for a change of a person's attitude towards God that impacted one's actions and life choices. It also says this, another commentator, right? Repent means it involves turning. That is, from one way of thinking and living to a different way. And it's expressed through prayer and remorse. And so I want you to think about this for a second. Repentance, I want to look at two aspects of it. And the first is this, it's the changing one's mind or one's attitudes about God and ourselves. Do you like to, for somebody to point out where you're wrong or lacking? Do you like that? Some sure, some No. Um I would guess if I were to come to you or you were to come to me and with some things that are going on, and I, I don't know, let's say I my, my Mitch made eye contact with me, so I went to my man Mitch down here and I said, Hey Mitch, man, and I get laid off like several things that I don't like about Mitch. You know what he might do? Might hit me. Probably not. We got enough relationship that he might not slug me right away. But he might go in a defensive posture immediately. Which, Hey, man. No, 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 no. You don't understand why that happened. No, no, no. I, I'm doing this because of this. I mean, no, you can't do that. You don't know what my week was like. That's why I did this. That's why I didn't show up for this. That's why I didn't do this. Didn't do this. You know? And you're going to defend yourself. At least try to. Let somebody post a negative comment about your picture or what you're doing on social media. And then refrain from defending yourself. It would be very difficult. Imagine you post a selfie and somebody's like, oh, triple chins, good job. (sighs) Well, it was a bad angle and I (laughs) I was a little puffy from all the salt I'd eaten and you're a jerk. Okay? Instead of taking responsibility, we don't like that. And here's the thing. The Scriptures, Jesus is going to say things that we do not like. And he's going to expose things that we do not like. And he's going to expose our sin, and he's going to expose the root of our heart, and he's going to show the sinfulness and brokenness in it. And there's two ways you can do it. You can embrace it and accept the truth of it, or you can kick against it and try to weasel your way out of it and try to do gymnastics on what he says. What he really meant was this. Or you can repent, which is to change your attitude towards God and the actions that follow from it, which means this. You say, you are right, and I am wrong. If your word says it, you're right, and I am wrong. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is going to say some really tricky things, some really, not tricky is not the right word, but really difficult things, things that we are going to have to deal with. He's going to speak about divorce. He's going to speak about lust. He's going to speak about, about hate. He's going to speak about murder. And he's going to call us all guilty of that. If we don't do it with our actions, we're going to be guilty of it in our hearts and Jesus is going to call us on the carpet. And there's two ways you can roll. You can go from good evidence this is God's word. And I will submit to it. Whatever he says is right and I might and I'm wrong. Or you can say, man, that book's outdated. It doesn't know what life is like now. It doesn't understand this, but I want you I want to venture this. Your your understanding of life is finite. It only exists of the years you've been alive and maybe the years you've read about in a book. But your understanding of the world is finite. And Jesus is God, is God come to earth, heaven come to earth. He's the king, and his rule and reign is coming, and the, what, the rule and reign he's coming is going to be right, and his, he has this divine perspective. And so repentance, changing of your attitude towards God which is saying yes you're right I am wrong and I will every opinion of mine yes even your opinion you will place at the foot of Jesus and his words and say tell me where I'm wrong and tell me where I'm right here you that is really hard to do I don't know if you're in a Bible study with somebody and they raise their hand and they're like well you know, how I've always understood it is this. And so sometimes it's totally fine to do, but sometimes it goes, it just wells up in me like, oh, yeah? Well, who cares? Yeah? Well, what's that based on? Your experience? Oh, yeah, great, because you had every experience in the world. Great. Yeah, you understand life completely. Great. Oh, good. We don't need Jesus. We don't need the scriptures. We got this guy. I don't say that because I'm nice. But you're not dealing with the text, you're just dealing with what you believe, like you're, what you've already made up in your mind, if it's going to be right. No, when we come to the Scriptures, when we come to Jesus, we have to look at what he says and then let the weight of what he says be put upon our life. And not just try to squirm and squeeze out from underneath it, but say, I am in submission to you, your way, your will, not mine. Repent of your attitudes and actions, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so part of this is saying, you're right. God, I am wrong. And the second part is this. It has to do with our actions. If, you may be here, I acknowledge my sin is wrong. I acknowledge that that God says, this is sin, but you do nothing about it, you've done nothing. Okay, here's the deal. I know exactly what God says about this. I believe it. I can even tell other people about it. But I'm still going, my life is not going to change at all. And I'm not going to move out of that sin. That is not repentance. That's delusion. And we can live there easily. And so here is the call as we come and we approach Jesus, He is going to say, really tough things. And our endeavor, my endeavor, is going to be to, find, to, to look at what he says in the context and to do nothing more than to help us understand that. Not with any agenda, but what does Jesus say? So that we, our hearts and attitudes, we would turn and change those to say, your will, your way, not mine. If there's a way that is in me, search me and try me. If there's a wicked way in me, God find it out, sniff it out, dig it up, burn it out, give me a new, give me a new view, give me a new way. And not just mentally, but Lord, let me change my behavior. And I just want to, I just want to, I want a word for every one of you. We love, we we love so much how folks have been showing up at church and, and being involved. And I want to say this to you and to me, it is not enough to hear God's word, you must respond to God's word. And there's so many that have listened and heard and heard and heard, but there has been no change of life. And the call to you is not for mental assent, but it's lifestyle submission to Jesus. If there is sin, ongoing sin in your life, that you know is sin, that you've become convicted about, that it is sin and it is contrary to God's word. Repent, not just mentally, but turn away from that sin. Make every effort to turn away from that. Confess your sins to someone, the Bible talks about, as a way of help. Talk to a spiritual leader. Myself today, Tom's not here, or anybody else who you know has, has got a spiritual life. Confess your sins. Turn from those sins. Break off the unhealthy relationship, the sinful relationship. Or make the sinful relationship right. Lies. Tell the truth. Repent. Turn from your sin. And turn to Jesus. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God, which is here but not yet, is coming. And its dominion and rule is seen everywhere. And when people repent and believe, then they start to get a glimpse of the strange and beautiful kingdom that is here. Where the last become first and the first become last. Where, blessed are the poor in spirit. Salt and light and we're sitting on a hill. Where we don't have to worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Where, why would you worry about your life and what you're going to put on? Has God not clothed the lilies of the field and given them all the things that you need? How could you, man, number the hairs on your head? No, he's got them numbered. Or the lack thereof. He knows. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. He cares for the birds of the air and the plants. How much more does he care for his people God, teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of these things in the sermon, the strange, beautiful world of God coming to earth, the loving your enemies. All of this, the gateway to understanding and to see the beauty of the kingdom of God is for us to turn from our sin and turn to Christ. And that involves action. Action. In fact, this commentator wrote, common external signs of repentance include prayers and remorse and confession and renouncing of sin. Jesus and John said, Look, the kingdom is coming. It's here. It's already, it's not yet. Jesus is king. He brings the kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount shows us what life is like in the kingdom and what do we do in preparation. We must turn our attitudes and our life away from sin towards Christ. Turning our attitudes away from I'm right towards I will submit to Christ and his scripture. And in so doing, we get a taste of heaven. So here's the call. I'm going to invite Clint up, and we're going to take a few minutes. Um, He's going to pick a little bit, and we're going to sing a song together. And the song that we're going to sing has the idea of Christ reigning over us. And so re- I, I, I really mean this. Response is necessary. Response is necessary. And so repentance involves confession of sins, remorse, prayer, renunciation of sin. And we're going to take a few minutes and pray, and then we're going to sing this song together. And this is our time to respond. Our response don't necessarily have to be Come down forward or that type of stuff. Our response is going to be as we sing and as we pray, speak to the Lord. Repent to him. And then as soon as we leave, go make right what has been wrong. Start putting to death sin. Trust in Christ and his word. And so if we could, I'm going to ask us to bow for a minute in prayer. And you just... Think about the words of the Lord, and if he brings something in your life up that you need to repent of in preparation for the kingdom to come, then please do so. Then in a moment we're going to sing, and the song itself will be our response as well. So if you just take a few minutes in prayer. Father, help us to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. May we respond and not just hear the word, but we be doers of the word as well. Lord, as we sing this song, help it be a response to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.
1: your touch oh great and mighty one with wonders desire we come that you would reign that you would reign in us we're offering up our lives a living sacrifice that you would reign that you Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh again. Come search our hearts and purify our lives. We need your perfect love. We need your perfect love. We need your discipline. We're lost unless you guide us with your life. Lord Jesus, Come lead us with desperate for your touch O great and mighty one With one desire we come That you would reign That you would reign in us We're offering up our lives A living sacrifice
0: But here's how I want us to be dismissed. I want us to sing that chorus from rain and us one more time. Did I miss some? We did the offering. Yeah we did. If <laughs> I stand up, let's sing this together.
1: Oh, great and mighty one, with one desire we come, that you would reign, that you would reign in us. we we'll are all bring up our lives, a living sacrifice, that you would reign, that you would reign in us. Thank you, guys. You are dismissed.